Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. And you can look in the bulletin for the passage. You can look in your own Bible or on your tablet or device. I want to encourage you to open up something to follow along. Uh, and it will not be on the PowerPoint, but it's pretty much accessible everywhere else. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. Let's give our attentive hearing, for this is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for this time to hear your word and to hear it applied. Uh, Lord, may it uh, change us as we hear it. Give us new hearts, good hearts, uh, that will bear fruit as a result of hearing it. And Lord, um, we just entrust to you this time as a way of just giving us the wisdom we need. Uh, we come to you uh, perhaps with many thoughts and worries, um, uncertainties, but Lord, help us to focus on your voice. Follow that voice and find that, Lord, uh, in the midst of it all, uh, there is direction, there is purpose, and there is meaning as we follow after you. So let this be that time of clarifying uh, and calling uh, from you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So we're continuing in our uh, new series, new and old series called Why We Do What We Do. It's something that we revisit every few years as a way of uh, refreshing your memories. For those of you who've been here, why we do the things we do in worship. And for those of you who are new, to familiarize you with uh, these things. And last week we covered the purpose and meaning behind the call to worship. That's how we open up our every worship service. Today, we cover another uh, important aspect of our worship, and that is singing. We always sing at church. Uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered, though, uh, why that is. And maybe even more fundamentally, uh, why do just human beings in general sing at all? Because singing doesn't just happen in here. Uh, singing happens out there. And, and the question is not so much, therefore, whether you sing. It really should be what you sing. And why? What is it that you sing in your life? Uh, and why is that your song? Or why is that your jam? Uh, why is that so circulating uh, on your playlist, on repeat? And why do you gravitate towards it so? Let's think about that. Let's think biblically about singing. Let's also think rationally about singing. And let's think practically about singing as well. So first, I want to talk to you about the necessity of our singing. And then some problems with our singing, and lastly, the reformation, therefore, of our singing, all right? The necessity of our singing, the problem in our singing, and therefore the need to reform our singing, all right? Point number one, the necessity of our singing. If you look at the first few verses in our passage in Ephesians, it begins to talk to us about living as wise people, 
and really discerning people because the days are evil. And we are called to therefore make the best use of our time right now because the days are evil, meaning, you know, uh, you're not naive about this world. you know when you look around the world that uh, the world is very much broken. The, the scriptures, therefore, doesn't give us with this sort of, uh, present us with this made-up idealism about what a wonderful world, period. It is a wonderful world, but it also has a lot of brokenness in it. It gives us a very realistic outlook on life, which is kind of the, the premise of this wisdom. And then the question he begins to answer is, well, how do you go about living in this wisdom? What does that look like? How do you live with wisdom in the midst of evil? And Paul, um, after laying out um, sort of the general worldview in in uh, chapters 1 through 4 in Ephesians, he lays out something very practical and specific here, beginning in in chapter 5. And in our passage, he says... One of the ways you live in wisdom, with wisdom in this broken and evil world is you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which means um, living in this new reality as a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ because that's the work that the Spirit alone can do in a human being. Give you the conviction, I'm a new creation, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God, and that's what I am. The Holy Spirit does that. So if you want to live in that wisdom, you need to, you need to live in this Holy Spirit, you li- this Holy Spirit living inside you. And then he says, the, basically the outflow of that, the outflow of that, he says, is as follows, addressing one another in psalms, singing hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, okay. and submitting to one another, uh, or uh, giving thanks and submitting to one another, all right? Of the five things here, he lists as an outflow of your being filled with the Holy Spirit and living with wisdom, three of them have to do with singing. Okay. Um, like we heard last week in Psalm 147, it is fitting, fitting to our spirit to sing praises to our God. Why? Because it's what our spirit was made for. It's what it therefore needs. And likewise here, It says here that the Holy Spirit, when he fills us, we sing. Singing, according to the scriptures, is is spiritual before it is musical, before it is auditory and physical. It's spiritual. That's why we don't sing any less with our new nature in the Holy Spirit, but even more. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, singing really is a necessity when you even simply consider right, just how human beings are wired to begin with. And that's what I mean by the necessity of singing. It goes beyond the, the spiritual necessity that Christians have. It's actually a universal human necessity. Uh, Susan Jocks at Stanford University wrote an interesting article. It was published a long time ago in the LA Times. It's got an interesting title. The title is The Human Condition, Why We Like to Sing. And here's a quote from the article I want to share with you, quote, We sing because something inside us needs to express something beyond words. We sing because the impulse to sing might be more primitive than the impulse to speak. And the primary impulse to sing is to express something welling up inside you. And what does she mean by welling up inside you? She adds this clarifying quote, People use songs as a way to release emotional pain and connect with their souls. Souls. 
The source of our songs, according to her, is not physical, it's not biological, it's not psychological, it's spiritual. It comes from your soul. It's welling up inside you. It's like you can't contain it. And it's interesting, if you think about it, how this language of the soul is becoming actually more prominent in our culture today. Uh, and, and nowhere it is, more, is it more prominent than in music. I don't know if you've seen the movie titled Soul, the, the Pixar movie, Soul. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, the whole thing, in a sense, is built on the premise that music has a way of tapping into something internal to us, something invisible. You don't see it in the everyday life. It's immaterial. It's not even really scientific, right? It's all about that, and, the, and a lot of the story happens there, and therefore the movie is aptly titled Soul. And the, the journey of the soul in that movie is more significant to the material, physical life and what happens up there, lived on earth. And then the final resolution is, without spoiling it for you, is when the main character taps into what his soul considers now to be the true meaning of his life. And he finds resolution in the here and now, in the physical life. Um, you see, now we have in secular culture uh, this acknowledgement that to be musical is really to be spiritual. It's to be soulful. And, and that's something that can't be explained um, just exhaustively by our biology or evolution or psychology uh, or neurology. Because even what we observe you know, in our brain the chemical reactions that, that happen when we listen to Beethoven or something like that. Um, it tells us what is happening. It does not tell us why. It does not tell us why. Why does music connect so deeply with our souls? It only tells us that it does. Because it really is a soulful activity. Musical activity is spiritual activity. And everybody has it. Everybody has this soul. And everybody has this longing to express something welling up inside them that's beyond words, more primitive than grammar. Moreover, uh, music is not just something that stems from inside us, from the soul, but it actually feeds into the soul as well, if you think about it. And that's the other aspect of its necessity. It doesn't just come out of the soul, it, it's got to go back in. It's a, it's a spiritual two-way street. It feeds you with something that you need. It doesn't just express something that you need to express. It feeds you with something you need to feed upon as well. What might that be? Um, a couple years ago, I think maybe four years ago now, Lynn and I went to the uh, UGA Performing Arts Center uh, to see a young, very young and talented Korean pianist performing the, the Chopin preludes. He won the international Chopin competition, and he was like the first Korean to win that. Uh, so we got tickets, and uh, we drove all the way out to Athens, all the way out to Athens, uh, had a great evening, and, and came home. Now, when we came home from that event, that amazing, beautiful, you know, excellent event, what changed? Did we come home to, to more money? Did we come home to more physical fitness, wellness? Uh, did our kids become more obedient as a result of our attending that? No. Uh, there was nothing external or situational or material that changed. In fact, uh, there was more of losing in terms of the physical material and the situational. We had to pay for babysitters. We had to spend time driving over there. 
and come home a little bit tired, physically at least. But we came home feeling rewarded. Why is that? Because the reward was something internal, not external. Externally, we were spent and spending, but internally, we were fed. In a strange way, it fueled something more important than things that money can buy. It fueled us with meaning. It fueled us with, with beauty. Even, even through those little notes on the piano, music has a way of fueling our lives with such meaning. And, and by extension, I think when we as a community or family or married couple, parents and children, friends, sing, we are essentially saying, here's our meaning. This is what we find to be meaningful and beautiful in life. This is what we're about. It's not about building the externals, improving the circumstantial and the situational, but feeding upon this meaning together. That's what we're about. Music gives you that gives you that meaning, and, and we're all in search of that meaning. Therefore, we have a necessity to sing, to find our song, to find our jam. Find this meaning that, as Tolstoy put it, especially this kind of meaning that the inevitable death awaiting you cannot destroy. Do you have that? Do you have any meaning in your life that the inevitable death awaiting you cannot take away from you? That kind of deep, satisfying, lasting meaning and scripture tells us, therefore, sing praise to our God. And this is what scripture also tells us. This is how we were made. Body and soul, embodied souls, created by and for the greatest meaning possible, God himself. God made you in his image to, to spend the rest of your existence knowing his meaning and his beauty. Sometimes you see that in the, the beauty of nature. Sometimes you see that in the beauty of life, in relationships, friendships, or the beauty of moral goodness, justice. Um, but music has this immediate way of telling our souls, you are living in a meaningful, valuable existence uh, and world where there's still, despite, it, despite all the things that you may see, there's still harmony Despite the ups and downs, there's still structure, there's still order, and then there's still beauty that's left to be communicated. And, and we feed upon that. We have to feed upon that to survive. Uh, Peter Kraft is a philosophy professor at Boston College, and he said, there is the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, and therefore there must be a God. There's the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, therefore there must be a God. He's, he's kind of making a serious philosophical argument there. He's essentially saying, go try and listen to Bach's you know, cello suite number one in G major, or the Goldberg variations on the piano, or Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, whatever it is, and, and then see if you can tell yourself there's no beauty in that. There's no meaning in that. Why? That's just atoms bouncing around. That's just a chemical reaction in my brain. These are accidental things happening in an accidental universe. Try telling yourself that. See if you can honestly tell yourself a life that's going to be consumed by what's being communicated in, in box music 
is not worth living. So music goes beyond being spiritual in this abstract sense or having this sort of meaningful abstraction that is subjective. It actually points us objectively to God, reminding us, you have a maker. You're not atoms randomly bouncing around accidentally without purpose. Box music is not accidental ink uh, falling on paper, causing accidental chemical reactions in your brain. No, it's objectively meaningful, beautiful, and good. And music reminds us of this oftentimes, when life may seem meaningless, when life seems, uh, how did Thomas Hobbes put it, solitary, nasty, brutish, and short, right? And uh, noth- nothing in this world is meaningful, it's just sound and fury signifying nothing. Right? No, it is meaningful, it is beautiful, because God made it, because God exists. And therefore, it also gives you an awareness of who you are, who your maker is, and, and that you have an obligation to therefore search after him, and meaning in him, meaning in your maker who's calling you home. That's the necessity of singing. Now, here's the second point, and that is the problem in our singing. Uh, It's interesting that as Paul encourages us to to kind of fix the way we, we live, right, and live wisely, don't live unwisely, live wisely, he mentions how we can go about fixing our singing too. But before we, we dive into, you know, fixing, fixing the problem of our singing, I just want to clarify for you uh, what this point is not going to be about. This point is not going to be about how Christian music is good and non-Christian music is bad, all right? That's way too simplistic. Uh, scripture is clear. God cares both about the, the, the skillfulness of music, and so when you hear skillfulness, that's to be appreciated. But he also cares about truthfulness in music and, and also truth about God, especially in music. And so you've got to blend both of those together. But here's the problem, and I think Ezekiel 33, 32 has a nice way of summarizing it. It says in Ezekiel, And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice. Sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. There's an interesting distinction there, isn't there, between beautiful voicing, beautiful instrumentation, and lustful content. In other words, the Bible teaches us that good music isn't just a matter of the the form. Is it well uh, uh, orchestrated and performed, musically speaking? But it's also a matter of content. Is it true? Does it communicate true things about this world and also this, the God who created this world? But see, this is the problem we have. We tend to, we tend to sacrifice one for the other or, or lose out on both. But the neglect of either is actually very problematic. Having said that, it's also true that the Bible generally focuses more on our neglect of true content. There are more passages that address uh, songs that have uh, false content or, or what Ezekiel calls lustful content than the lack of beautiful instrumentation or good execution, skillfulness. And that's because God's primary concern is is with our hearts, whether we're gravitating towards Him and His truth, Um, not necessarily what we do with our hands and our feet. Um, But the problem is, of course, our hearts have been corrupted by sin and therefore distanced from God. And we can and we do sing about things and revel in things as a result, um, even if they contradict God's meaning and His beauty. 
And what that shows us is that um, there's something welling up in us and, and, and that, that the root of that well has gone bad. Songs don't lust, right? We do. So the problem is not with the music. It's the heart that doesn't submit to God. The problem is me, and that's where I, I think Taylor Swift nailed it on the head. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. So again, the question, the, the question you have to ask yourself uh, here is not, do I like this? Is this Christian? Will my parents approve it? The question is, what is this really saying? Does it communicate any truth about God's word, God's world, God's character? Keith Getty, the hymn writer, and we sing many of his hymns, there, he said, quote, there are ultimately no neutral lyrics. All songs share a message about how we should view the world. And it's either right or wrong. It's either gravitating more towards truth or deviating more from truth. There are no neutral songs. There's a worldview usually packed into every single song. And therefore, we need discernment, like Paul is saying. Uh, often in, in, in secular music, you encounter songs that are quite accurate uh, about the problems and sins of this world. And in Christian music, you, you'll probably find songs that are quite accurate in, in presenting the solution to those problems. And the, the disconnect sometimes is, uh, if, you only, if, you, if you only remain in so-called, the so-called Christian genre or the, the Christian radio station, you'll hear a lot about the solution to our problems, but not what the problem is. So it's very safe for the little years. But the problem with secular music is you, you constantly hear about the problems of this world and the bad coping mechanisms, but not the true gospel that answers those problems. Uh, I may have mentioned this before. I was listening to Blackpink, this song called Love Sick Girls. And my first thought was, hey, this is a cool song. The, the, the production, the, the beat, and the vocals okay what does it say uh i think it has an excellent brilliant i think brilliant diagnosis of a cultural problem but absolutely clueless as to how to resolve that problem we are the lovesick girls we were born to be alone why are we still looking for love? Love is a drug that I quit, but no doctor could help when I'm love sick. Wow. There's a lot packed into that, isn't there? First, tells us what we were born for. Gives us an anthropology. You were born for love. And they, what they mean by that is romantic love. So that they're preaching that to you. You're ultimately here for romantic love, eros. And if you don't find that, your life essentially loses its meaning. But there's a problem. This is the sin. Something constantly gets in the way of what we ultimately long for. Not exactly articulated what it is, but... And it's, not, it's definitely not articulated how we confess it and become atoned and 
how we repent of it and be saved from it. Ultimately, in the absence of that solution, they conclude we're born to be alone. You're doomed to be alone. But because this is how we are made, love becomes kind of a drug that we get hooked on, that we can't quit, and no doctor can help us. No one has come for the sick. No one has come to bind up their wounds. Not in this worldview. I think that's brilliant. But also clueless as to where to look for the true answer to their problem. So again, we have to ask, not do I like this? Will, I, will my pastor like this? Will, is this church appropriate? Yeah, you can ask those things. But the more important question is, what is it saying? What can you learn from it? What is its worldview? So the application, right, is not don't listen to this stuff, right? I, I like them. I like blabbering, right? Don't hate. Uh, but the, the truer application is, it's what Paul says. Look carefully. Not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully. He doesn't say look away. Look carefully. And remember that one of the things that sin has broken is, is music. There's no neutral music. Because sin messes everything up. And so I think in a sense, what I'm saying is also, it actually could be helpful for some of you to listen to some of these songs that are not strictly Christian or played on the Christian radio to help you better understand what are the problems of our society. There is a way of poetically expressing problems in our society. And of course, it can be taken to inappropriate lengths and you should avoid that. But there are sincere, poetic, even secular attempts of describing a, a world broken by sin. I, I'm not recommending this by any means, but I think I can appreciate the societal problems that Tupac Shakur talks about in his song Changes. Not recommending it, I'm just saying. I can appreciate the, the relational problems we face in life through Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. But here's what I also want you to recognize. They're not offering you any gospel. And what circulates in your mind should be content that is infused with some good news. That there is a doctor who has come to save those who are sick. And you are not alone. You are not alone in this this problem-riddled, sin-riddled world. So understand where secular music falls short, where it can be dangerous, right? Beautiful voice, well-played instrumentation, and Ezekiel says, still, lustful songs. Um, And in a sense, it gets us hooked or drunk on a message that's meant to make us forget, find a cheap escape temporarily, but not saved. Not giving us us a real hope to to live on. And, And why does Paul also contrast drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. Uh, one of the reasons, not by no means an exhaustive reason, one of the reasons why people do get drunk is because they are chasing after a sense of numbness. It's, it's a way of self-medicating from their worries and their anxieties and their fears or their failures, grief. Um, alcohol interferes with our neurotransmitters that, that's linked to mood regulations. So. You don't, you don't feel as much. It numbs you. The science has also shown that drunkenness actually induces more anxiety 
and stress in the long term. But see, contrast that with how the Holy Spirit sobers you up to both the realities of this world and the the reality of your hope. So don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who alone can awaken you from your numbness and give you a true answer to your problem of sin and and an answer to the problem of our broken world. Sing the gospel. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And fill your mind, fill your life with that. And that's the last point, how we reform our singing. It's through the gospel. How does the gospel reform our singing? By giving us the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the foolishness of this world to become our wisdom for us. So we can, through his, his salvation, live wisely. And sing wisely again, according to the original purpose of singing, singing of God's meaning and God's beauty, even now, even here. And nobody has modeled that better for us than Jesus, um, not only through his teaching, but also through his own life and death and his resurrection. He gives us a new song through his gospel. Remember the Samaritan women in, in John chapter 4? You might argue she was a lovesick girl. Uh, she had five husbands, and the man she is with now is not her husband. She's suffering. She's hurt. Maybe she was mistreated, abused, and abandoned by the men she's been married to. We don't know for sure. What does Jesus, right, God's wisdom incarnate in the flesh, teach her? Oh, love is like a drug. There is no cure. No. I'm the answer. I'm your doctor. Come to me and drink from me because the water I give you will make you thirsty never again. In fact, it will turn into a spring that wells up from within you, meaning a a song will come out of you. That's going to be completely different from what's been the refrain of your life. He comes to us as a doctor. And through his, of course, his death on the cross and his resurrection, he, he also shows us that we can sing of God's forgiveness more than of our sin and our guilt. Sing of God's grace. We, he gives us a song about his blood that can be louder and be amplified more than our guilt and shame. He, he gives us a song about his love so that it can be louder than our songs about self-hate. He gives us songs about his control so that that could be amplified over and against songs about our anxiety. He gives us songs about his approval so we won't be so chained to the approval of people, songs that brag about our way of life. He gives us songs about his kingdom wealth so that we won't have to put our hope and our boasting in earthly wealth. He gives us songs about his strength so that it will be louder than songs about our weakness. It would be naive if you completely eliminated and silenced those songs that describe so accurately our problems. But it would also be a mistake 
to listen only to those voices. When the gospel is here, when the good news of Jesus Christ is here. And so Colossians 3.16 says, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly first. His teaching, his gospel, his admonishment, his wisdom, let that dwell in you first and then sing. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Be rooted in that. And remember, that's why we sing. We sing to harmonize with Jesus and his gospel and to be awakened from the numbness, the lust that worldly music can bring us because there is a truer and better hope for us. So sing his hymns of praise. Sing praise to Jesus. Well, what if my voice is just terrible <laughs> what what if i i'm not gifted with that pastor i'm not i'm not a gifted singer well you don't have a mic i mean i'm not going to give you a mic if that's the case you don't have to sing into the mic but as you as you sing and as you blend in with the congregation because i mean we're really called to sing congregationally not individually um, as you do that i think you'll find that the main purpose is accomplished to remind you through these songs who you are and where you belong and where you're headed. Who you are, where you belong, and where you are headed. That's why we sing. We start here. We, we learn the hymns of praise that's packed with the teachings of Christ, the, the character of Christ, and we take it home. I hope you're taking it home. And, and sing it at home. Sing it with your children. Right, and start small. Right? Maybe replace uh, a mealtime prayer with the doxology. Let's just, let's just sing the doxology before we eat because that's our meaning. That's our beauty. And, and that's our God. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who sings over us and invites us to sing with you to see, Lord, what you have accomplished to restore all that is broken in this world, all that is broken in our hearts and in our lives. And we do pray uh, you will help us to, to love the songs you teach us here, that we learn here, um, the songs of Christ, songs that show us who we are, who you are, who our family is. And Lord, though, that, uh, though this world um, may sing a different anthem, um, remind us, what our anthem is, even as we close in, in singing about the church, um, let that be our anthem. And, and let that be the anthem of our families, our, our marriage, our friendships, so that, Lord, we can share this true meaning, this true beauty of God with, with those around us. And through, through these songs, may we, may we live more soberly in this world, live more hopefully and, and lovingly, even uh, in the here and now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.